Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. And welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. We're back after the summer break and it is my pleasure for the first of the new season of shows to be talking to Ian Gordon. Ian is also known as the Long Wave Analyst and he's one of the foremost students of Long Wave Theory. Uh, formerly an officer with the British Army, Ian emigrated to Canada in 1967 he studied history at the University of Manitoba and from there moved into finance as both a stockbroker and advisor. Since 2008, he's been running his own company, the Longwave Group, which has two arms, one providing education on longwave theory and the other helping uh, to finance junior precious metals mining companies. Ian, uh, what a pleasure it is to have you on the show. Hello. Thank you very much, Dominic. And, um, well, why don't, why don't we start with, uh, why don't you outline uh, what long wave theory is? Um, it's, it's based on the Kondratiev cycle, and Kondratiev was a Russian economist who uh, proposed the, that there was a long economic cycle of approximately 60-odd years, and um, that this cycle went through sort of a boom and a bust period over that over that length of time um, and I've sort of taken uh, Nikolai Kondratiev's work and I think uh, expanded it quite significantly into several different uh, cycles that have, that occurred during this long wave uh, cycle so that and principally one of the most important being an investment cycle so that uh, uh, we can basically make the correct investment decisions throughout the lifetime of the cycle. And we've broken the cycle into the four seasons of the year, which we think are appropriate, uh, spring being the birth or rebirth of the economy, summer being the time when the economy reaches its fruition, autumn being the feel-good period, and winter being the period when the economy dies and debt is uh, taken out of the economy so that it can start uh, refreshed again in the spring. And, of course, those uh, four seasons are uh, approximately one quarter of the length of the entire cycle, so uh, roughly 15 to 20 years. I presume we're in winter. We're in winter, and winter is always signaled by the uh, end of the uh, big uh, speculative period, which always occurs in the autumn of the cycle, so that when that a uh, massive bull market in stocks comes to an end. Uh, that signals the onset of winter. So, and we, you know, the economy gets plunged into a deflationary depression as debt is wrung out of the, out of the economy, and um, it's a, it's not a very happy time for either creditor or debtor. According to your work, did winter begin in in 2000 with the dot com crash, or did it begin in 2008? It began in, in 2000, 
Um, I, that was the most speculative period in, of the stock market. Yes, we know that the Dow, uh, you know, peaked in 2000, January 2011, and made a, a subsequent higher high in uh, October 2007 of 14,200. Uh, however, the S&P essentially double-topped um, in 2000 and 2007, and the NASDAQ, of course, uh, which was the speculative part of the market, um, only regained 50% of its due losses from 2000. So we, uh, we believe that the winter effectively started in 2000. It was somewhat uh, very benign because Alan Greenspan decided that he didn't want winter, and uh, brought interest rates down very quickly from 6 to 1%, flooded the banks with money, and, of course, uh, that just got the real estate bubble uh, uh, going. And uh, from 2007, we could see when the Bear Stearns funds, the, which were in debt, couldn't, could, the debt funds in Bear Stearns, that they couldn't sell that debt, I knew then that that was the end. The debt bubble was about to burst, and I wrote a piece called "This Is It" in 2007. Uh, it's a 60-year cycle, so presumably each each um, season lasts, you know, 15 or so years it, it, in the idealized cycle, at least. And you know that would suggest that we only have five more years of winter to go. However. Because of interference and intervention and everything else, I presume your take is that winter is going to be prolonged. Um, so what's your time scale? Well, you know, we've sort of uh, essentially said that we feel that winter will run till 2020. Now, that's only a guess. Uh, but, you know, um, because we're on a, on, you know, a, a paper money system, it's much easier for the authorities to try and uh, negate the effects of winter by uh, printing copious amounts of paper money to, in which they want to offset it. But uh, uh, again, uh, we're also in, uh, in the Western uh, and, and most uh, uh, major nations in the world, we're on a, what I call a credit money system. So a lot of money is actually in the form of credit, um, whether it's a short-term uh, government debt or, or bank uh, debt and so on. So, And when the credit bubble bursts, that credit money also deflates. So the, the, we're, you know, we're already seeing the effects of the money supply in the United States is actually in, in fairly significant negative territory. Uh, not seen since in the, in the 1930s. Yeah, it, it's this is this is the great fascination uh, about this this modern system of money, um, and it's the you know it's one of the great concerns. Do you see it lasting? Do you see it surviving? No, I I, I don't. I think the whole, actually we're just writing a piece, uh, uh, the death of paper money. And yeah, I think the whole paper money system is in, is 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 going to collapse um, simply because it, you know there's been so much of it created and it has uh, it's always losing its value. I mean, since the Federal Reserve was formed in the United States in 1913, the U.S. dollar has lost 95% of its value. So 
um, we think that the whole world monetary system is going to collapse much as it did in the previous Kondratiev or long-wave winter in the, between 1931 and 1933. And that uh, collapse started effectively uh, with the failure of the Credit Anche Bank in May of 1931, uh, pushing Austria and Germany off the gold standard system and then effectively uh, Great Britain went off the gold standard system in September 1931 and the whole system, uh, the gold standard system uh, collapsed at that stage and there was really no new uh, world monetary system that didn't evolve until Bretton Woods in 1944. If you look at the history of money, we've gone from barter to commodity currencies, be it, you know, shells or salt or gold and silver or whatever the commodity is. And from commodity currencies, we've gone to representative currencies where, you know, bits of paper represent gold stored somewhere and then from representative currency we've gone to fiat currency uh, where it is merely the law that says this thing or or this nothing be money Um, where does money go from here what comes after fiat currency do we go back to some kind of commodity currency do we have a digital commodity currency where where do we where do what replaces the, the the monetary system well, I think we have to go back to, uh, you know, commodity, uh, 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 in particular gold-based monetary system, uh, simply because that kind of system imposes a discipline, um, you know, on uh, on everybody. Uh, you just cannot create too much money against the gold that you hold. So that uh, I think, you know, people are going to demand it. I mean, uh, what I see ahead of us here is a is a very, very severe uh, economic depression brought about by, you know, a massive uh, amount of credit that's being created throughout uh, uh, the the major economies of the world. And um, that's going to bring us all down, and I I think it's going to be much more severe than than the 30s, simply because the debt is far greater this time than it was in the 30s. Um. So what should we be doing with our money? Well, first of all, I think, um, you know, ever since 2000, because we anticipated the the onset of winter in the Kondratia for the long-wave cycle, uh, we have been, uh, we have moved to gold, uh, and we've been in gold uh, almost exclusively since 2000, and uh, in gold, um, the commodity, and in in gold stocks, and um, and it's and because of our understanding of the Kondratiev cycle, we know that that's uh, where people want to go when they see financial and economic uh, upheaval uh, that is is the sort of the signature of a Kondratiev or long wave winter. So uh, we know that that's what happened in the 30s. The move to gold was. Uh, uh, was uh, was massive, you know, as the U.S. banking system started to collapse uh, uh, following the 1929 uh, stock market peak and crash, and um, everyone, you know, wanted to own gold so much so that when Hoover was leaving office in uh, 1932, uh, uh, his secretary of the treasury said, uh, you know, we don't have the gold; it's all basically gone to back the dollar anymore. <laughs> 
And of course, the first thing uh, Roosevelt did when he took office in March 1933 was to confiscate all the gold that people had, had sort of hoarded, and he denounced the hoarders. So, um, you know, we and we know that the gold stocks performed exceptionally well, uh, even as uh, the the general stock market crashed. I mean, the Dow lost 90% of its value between. 1929 and 1932, and we're expecting a similar crash in stocks this time around, but gold stocks performed exceptionally well. Homestake, for instance, went up 600% between 1929 and 1936, so, and paid huge dividends. And the price of gold at that time, of course, was fixed, initially at $20.67, and then raised by Roosevelt in January 1934 to $35. But Homestake was still traveling price was still rising uh, without any increase in the price of gold. So um, we're, we've been expecting the same thing. And one way you can sort of see this is to, uh, we've written a paper on it, is actually uh, you can measure the, the extreme values that occur between the Dow and gold. Uh, extreme highs where it takes uh, so many ounces of gold to buy the Dow Jones. So, and that peak was reached in July of 1999 when it took 44 ounces of gold to buy the Dow Jones Industrials. And if you had then sold uh, the general stock market and gone into, into gold and gold equities, you would have uh, outperformed, as we've managed to do, uh, the market, of course, the market's gone nowhere in 11 years. The stock, market, the general stock market, but uh, the Huey is basically pushing against its uh, all-time high, and the Huey of over 500 points. And the Huey started at 35 points in 2001, so it's gone up significantly. And as of most of the gold stocks have done the same kind of thing, and of course, the gold price has gone from 250 to uh, where it is today, 1270. Um, and now it's taking about eight ounces of gold to buy the Dow Jones. So we've come from 44 down to eight ounces, and we're going to come to an extreme on the bottom. Uh, and those are the extremes that we've reached in the past have been a one-to-one -one relationship, but we think it's going to be something even more extreme this time, probably a quarter of an ounce of gold to buy the Dow Jones Industrials, because our target for the Dow on the bottom of this massive bear market that we're anticipating is 1,000 points. My goodness me. Um, th that's one of the great questions. I mean, I, I agree. I think that the, 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 the Dow to gold ratio is certainly going to go to, you know, one or two, maybe not a quarter. I, I'm not sure, for example, if, if the Dow is going to stay at 10,000 and gold's going to go to 10,000 or if the Dow's going to go to 1,000 and gold's just going to stay where it is. Um, you know, because of the nature of, 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 of this modern system of money that we have. But you see it going to 1,000 in, in modern dollars. Yeah, yeah, Dominic, the stock market has to reflect uh, the reality of the economy. And we, we are anticipating, you know, the winter is always a... Depression stage in the cycle as debt is being put, uh, sort of wrung out of the economy, and um, therefore, you know, the, the market has to reflect the reality of what's happening in the economy, which is, you know, is a depression. 
an economy that's basically dead, and much like the 30s. Or you can go back to the, the second cycle and go back to 1873 and see, again, a great stock market boom uh, built around the, uh, the speculation was around the railways, building of railways in the United States, massive speculation. That stock market peaked in 1873, crashed. The United States went into depression until effectively 1896. We can go back to 1837, the, you know, the first uh, big boom in, in stock prices in the first cycle, stock market and a big credit bubble built around things like the opening up of the Midwest of the United States and the building of canals and roads to open up the United States, the big speculation around that, that kind of medium. And then the market crashed, U.S. economy, too much credit gone to uh, fund those kinds of the canals and so on, and the whole system came crashing down and the um, U.S. went into a depression. So, you know, we've got the history to effectively show us how these things are going to unfold, and uh, we we are definitely on the deflation side uh, of the you know of the argument. We're not inflationists, so uh, we don't think stocks are going to hold up. We think stocks are going to go down as the uh, as debt comes out of the system because the ringing up that sort of process is very deflationary when debt is coming out of the system. And one of the reasons, of course, that home stake went up so much in the 1930s was that Roosevelt, as you say, confiscated gold and people couldn't own gold, but they could own gold stocks. Um, Now, of course, we have uh, a slightly different situation where people can own gold. And uh, the odd situation is that the gold stocks are rather lagging gold. We're not getting the... um, the, the outperformance that, that many hope for. Uh, do you have a comment on that, why gold stocks are lagging? Well, yeah, but let me just uh, go back to the one point that you just made. Uh, in fact, Homestake was rising before Roosevelt confiscated the gold. Yeah, but it had its big gap up as soon as gold got revalued upwards. Homestake was already going up, regardless of the fact that, you know, Roosevelt hadn't confiscated gold. Homestake, it was going up from the... It's uh, the first plunge low that occurred with a crash in, in 1929 when it dropped to about $66. But it was going up after that. Uh, the price was always rising. And uh, and then when, of course, Roosevelt confiscated gold, the only way you could own gold was through ownership in a gold mining company. But it had already started to rise quite appreciably without that confiscation being effective. Uh, secondly, you know why is gold? Why are the gold stocks lagging the gold price? I think that uh, the gold price is going up because a lot of people uh, have, um, you know, uh, can anticipate are anticipating a financial and economic uh, uh, c- uh, catastrophe, and have started to accumulate gold. And gold is very is very. So there's this accumulation going on of gold from those in the know that are anticipating kind of collapse that we see occurring. And you know, if you can own the physical, you don't have to own, um, you know, gold stocks itself. Um, but ultimately, the gold stocks have to reflect the value, you know, the price. I mean, 
of gold. It's gold at 1270, and if it costs you four, four. Or five hundred dollars to mine an ounce of gold, then um, you know it's highly profitable at twelve seventy to mine that ounce of gold, and the companies are going to make a lot of money. So eventually, I think people will uh, the gold stocks will start to reflect the rise in gold price as well, and particularly when the general stock market really starts to come off. You said earlier that that the Huey has already gone up from. Um you know, below 50 to 500 points between 2000, uh, between 1999 and now. Um, and obviously, Homestake did that between 1929 and 1936. After about 1936, Homestake didn't really fall, but it, it didn't have anything like the same gains. Have we already seen the Homestake-like gains in gold stocks, or are they still to come? I think they're still to come, I uh, again, actually, uh, we wrote a, a paper sort of showing, you know, there's time to be invested in, in in the general stock market, and that happens to be in the spring because that's a rebirth of the economy, and in the autumn because that's a big speculative period in the cycle. And there's a time to be invested in gold and gold stocks, and we used Homestake as, as a gold stock uh, price and and that happens to be in the summer, which is always the inflationary period of the cycle, uh, when the price of gold rises and therefore the, the gold stocks perform exceptionally well because gold went from $35 an ounce to $850 an ounce in the in the summer, and then again in the winter because people want to own gold because they don't trust anything else, and the gold stocks have to go up to reflect uh, that rising gold price, and of course. Homestake goes up without really any increase in the gold price except that move from $20 up to $35. On the subject of gold explorers, uh, in the credit collapse of 2008, gold explorers were one of the most brutally sold off of all sectors. And I think it's because even though they're searching for precious metals, because they're so dependent on financing, um, they are... uh, in many ways, like a junior financial uh, company, you know, they're, they're very dependent on speculative mindset and and uh, ease in the credit markets and so on and so forth. Because of that, do you think they're not rather vulnerable? Well, um, you know, I, I, of course, I got, you know, I was, uh, my portfolio was 100% invested in, in junior uh, uh, precious metal companies in um, in 2008 ha- effectively has been since 2000 and yeah I got severely uh, beaten up I think I was down 60% um, but I've more than recovered since that time now what do I anticipate uh, in, a, in another deluge in the general stock market actually for the most part the juniors really haven't haven't got back to you know the, the massive sort of speculative area that they were in in 2007. So they they really haven't recovered dramatically, except those who have really started to develop, um, you know, a resource. Those companies are doing exceptionally well, but the junior explorers haven't really uh, recovered. Uh, anything like 
for the most part, what, where they were in 2007. So I don't think they're going to get beaten up. Uh, you, know, you know, we know that uh, the, the move to gold in the 30s was huge, and many and all capital eventually just flowed to the gold mining industry. So uh, the many significant discoveries of gold were made in the, uh, in the 1930s. Uh, for instance, uh, a big discovery here in, in Canada, the Osisco uh, mine in Quebec, the developing mine in Quebec, that was first mined in, I think, 1933. So it was discovered capital had to be raised for you know, that discovery. There, was, there were several other stories of uh, uh, discoveries that were made in the 30s. I talked to a money manager in Toronto, who, South African, and he told me the junior, South African Junior Gold Mining Index made the biggest gain ever in the, in the 1930s. So I'm still very bullish because I think eventually as the stock market really starts to come off, uh, capital is going to really sort of flow almost exclusively to gold. This is all terrific stuff, Ian. Um, I've just got a couple, we're almost coming to a close, but I've just got a couple more quick questions to ask you. Um, what else should we own in winter apart from gold? Well, we shouldn't own de- debt, you know, and by that, I mean, we shouldn't be, we should be out of debt as, as best we can be. And uh, I don't particularly care to own debt either you know i don't particularly care to own uh, bonds because you know we're in a massive debt worldwide debt crisis and um and who knows you know what's going to happen and for instance how is the united states ever going to repay the 13 and a half billion dollars that uh, she owes that's never going to be it's, it's an impossible task that that money can ever be repaid so um, I don't have, see any interest, but you know you should be in, you should have cash, and and you can therefore own uh, the short-term debt of uh, countries, you know, like the treasury bills and so on, less than one year. But that's about it for your cash positions and and and, and cash itself. Um, next question: Japan has Japan had its winter? Japan is going through its winter. Japan went through its winter with its stock market peak in late 1989 at nearly 40,000. So that uh, that was the indication that it was going into its winter and debt was going to be wrung out of its system. I think that uh, the Japan winter will end, you know, earlier because it went in earlier than we, we did. Um, but I, I've got a target for the Nikkei of something... Uh, around about 4,000 for its bottom. So, you know, it's, it's well off that at the moment. But, I mean, if you look at Japan, you know, you know close to 40,000 and somewhere about around right now 9,000 on the Nikkei. So, we've never, you know, we've been 20 years plus in the doldrums in Japan. How did you arrive at your Dow 1000 and your Nikkei 4000 targets? Uh, Dow 1000 is based, uh, you know, on the, uh, again, you know, one of the adages that we say is every bear market is an image of the preceding bull market. And the bull market of of 1982 to 2000 took the Dow from 777 to uh, 11,750. 
the bull market of 1921-29 took the Dow from uh, about 66 points to 381 points. Preceding bear market following that big bull market, which by the way was was less than 600 percent, took the Dow down 90 percent, down to 41 points in uh, 1932. And we're saying that this uh, bear market is going to be somewhat larger than the bear market of 1929-32, simply because the bull market was almost three times bigger, or two and a half times bigger than the 21-29 bull market. And the reason we come to 1,000, it's a, it was a significant resistance point for the Dow. The Dow first hit 1,000 in 1966 and hit it 12 times without ever really penetrating that number, never getting through on a lasting basis until 1983. And so 12 times, that, that sort of resistance point now becomes a support point, and that would be a 93% drop. 93 versus 90 and 29.32. And for the Nikkei, we're basically saying that the Nikkei uh, was quite similar to the Dow of 21.29. And uh, and when the Dow was saying bottomed at 41, we're looking at the Nikkei bottom, bottoming somewhere like 4,000. I presume you think the UK real estate market is doomed? Yes, I do. I think it's... Uh, it's going to go the way that the United States... It's all real estate markets are doomed. You've got a lot of family here. Got a lot of family. All my brothers and sisters. I'm one of nine. Oh, my goodness. I really feel sorry for one of my... You know, my brother. Um, he's older than I am and, you know, retired. And he lost... I guess Gordon Brown had something to do with it. Half his pension or something. And, you know, his wife always says that the wealth that they have remaining is in their house. And I... I don't ever dare tell them what I think that, that you know the value of that might be. Um, but you know, we know real estate. For instance, in the 30s, actually, a newspaper did an article on me, Dominic. I just tell you this that, and the, the reporter did a, a lot of um, investigation, and he found a house in Vancouver in 29 that sold for $75,000 in a very good area of Vancouver. And that same house in 39 sold for $7,500, so a 90% drop. Crikey. Last question, Ian. Which explorers do you like? Oh, sorry, let me rephrase that. What, what are your top three gold companies at the moment? Um, I really like a company called Timmins Gold. I mean, it's, it's moved ex- exceptionally well, but I still think... Uh, it's in production right now in Mexico. It's going to produce about 100,000 ounces of gold a year at about a little better than $400 an ounce. It's, been, it's a past-producing mine, and um, it's been exploring around the mine and adding ounces. So that if we can see, you know, right now there's just about 700,000 ounces. If we can see that those ounces build to two. 2 million ounces, and I think there's a good chance that we might see that. Then, of course, this this company has a good mine, you know, a long mine life ahead of it, and at very profitable prices for the gold. And I like Mexico anyway. I think it's a safe jurisdiction to be mining in. Um, another company I really like is a company called uh, Millrock, and uh, Millrock's in um, uh, Alaska, uh, and also in um, Arizona, 
and they, they work very closely with major companies. So they do a lot of joint ventures with the majors, so I think it's got a great shot. Company, I, another two I'm going to give you. One is called Atlanta Gold, and I, I've just helped uh, raise them some money. And now Atlanta is in I, Idaho. Uh, it has about 450 ounces of, of uh, heat leachable gold, but uh, there were a lot of past workings that you know, much greater depths, and uh, they're starting to drill at these greater depths, and I think uh, are starting to find uh, fairly significant amounts of gold uh, in, you know, a, a very high grade, and that could turn out to be a, a very good deposit. Then there's another company um, that I'd also um, just uh, finished uh, finance or assisting in financing and raising money for, and um, this company is called Golden. Alliance, and um, they own, the, right now the market cap of this company is, uh, oh, let's say post-financing is only going to be about $10 million. Um, but they have a property in, in Peru that I, I love. You know, I, I, I knew about this property in 2002. It wasn't in Golden Alliance at that time. Uh, it is now, and it's um, called uh, uh, Tabacornis, and that property... They found some big boulders on it, which they sampled. There was about 16 grams of gold. They went up to the hill where the boulders had come down from and drilled 16 holes and uh, found really good grade the, the, uh, of gold in those drill holes. The, the, basically, the, the entire uh, the gold runs between two uh, four-kilometer strike length uh, by two kilometers. Uh, however, the company that owned the property at that time got got pushed off by the locals, and, uh, and then it was, they worked very closely with the locals, and now have been uh, open uh, asked to come back on the property and welcome with open arms back on the property. So I think this could be a, a very exciting property, um, and I and by the way, I'm invested in in all the companies that I just indicated to you good stuff ian uh, thank you very much for uh, for sharing your time with us it's been fascinating uh, hearing your insights and your outlook um why don't you give out your website address uh, if people want to find out more about what you do it's uh, longwavegroup.com longwavegroup.com ian gordon thank you very much thank you very much indeed thank you Dominic. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 